Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. How do I look? You think Carol would approve? I know. I wish I was in my pajamas staying home with you tonight, too. I love you. Can you at least give me a kiss before I go? I can't. Why not? Because I'm dead. How do I keep forgetting that? Right, uh, that's uh, The Woman in the House Across the Street from The Girl in the Window. All episodes now streaming on Netflix. James Dempsey joins us once again. It's worth watching just for that title, I think. Uh, that's well, <laughs> is that the, or is that the best bit about it? Um, oh, look, I, I, for me, this fell flat, right? So it's a spoof. That's what people need to go going in oh, because yeah, seemingly yeah. a lot of people have not actually fully understood that because there's been a lot of kind of like. <laughs> Uh, tweets that have towed a line where you can't quite tell if people are getting that it's a joke or not and in some regards I actually don't blame them because okay obviously the title is completely and utterly ridiculous it's actually its second title they were originally just going to call it I think The Girl in the Window and then they thought that that was just like too straight laced to go with so they kind of upped the ante in the lampoon stakes but it's the only place where they uh, sort of upped the ante because I have to admit across the episodes that I watched over the weekend, all eight of them, the whole right, right from the start to the beginning, I spent most of the time thinking, like, where are the jokes? Like, where are the jokes in this? Because, um, OK, so it, it comes from these these three kind of like uh, groundlings uh, com- comedians who are kind of like... Uh, you know, improv, which Americans absolutely love, right? That's sort of the genesis of all great American comedy. Yes, of course. Uh, Rachel Ramras, Hugh Davidson and Larry Dorff. And they had their own two-season two sitcom a couple of years ago and they are real, like, comedians, comedians, if you get me. And they pitched this idea to Netflix <laughs> that they would create a... <laughs> the worst they, sort. <laughs> As opposed to funny comedians. <laughs> right. so, uh, that they would create um, this, like, spoof of these pot boilers that are very much emblematic, I think, of the 21st century, right? Particularly The Woman in the Window with Amy Adams, which was this much maligned, long-delayed movie that finally came to Netflix last year with very little fanfare. And, you know, for me, it was a fairly standard, like, two and a half star out of five movie. It was fine. It was kind of a rip-off of Rear Window. Indeed, absolutely. And also The Girl on the Train and other Mm. women you know, who are often uh, succumbing to problems with alcoholism and, uh, you know, um, medication problems and spot a crime through a window, observe it and no one believes them, right? And to that comes Kristen Bell, who's Anna, who uh, whose daughter has died a couple of years ago, is estranged from her husband, is living in this beautiful house as an artist and a man moves in across the street and sort of uh, by the, well, very, very quickly she sees his girlfriend being stabbed in the neck and is reporting this and no one believes her. And this kickstarts eight episodes of red herrings and gotchas and silliness. And there are jokes, without a doubt, there are jokes when she visits her daughter's grave. The tombstone inscription changes every single time. Most of the best jokes are, are throwaway sight gags. There's a very funny one with a guy, you know, a, a, a male stripper appears at one point and you read his text messages and they're quite funny. But it is played deathly straight absolutely straight if you are looking for like a 
National Lampoon's, you know, does Potboiler. You're not going to get that here. It is very straight laced, so much so that I think if you were casually viewing it, like without any knowledge, you might think it was real. Like you might mm, not get yeah. that it is it is supposed to be an absolute um, mockery of this whole genre. Everyone in it does relatively good stuff. Uh, Kristen Bell, who is, you know, a great comedic actress, right? She, I mean, she led The, the Good Place for four seasons. Sure, that is yeah. a really funny sitcom. She's great in uh, Veronica Mars and, and other shows. For me, uh, she she's a producer on this, so her fingerprints are, are on some of the <laughs> murder weapons. <laughs> um, uh, but basically, she for my take on it, she just plays it far too straight and it isn't funny enough. You just keep waiting for more and more jokes to arrive. And as the mystery begins to unfold, it's not particularly uh, interesting. And I, I have to admit, I picked out what was going to happen, you know, about four episodes in and I called it straight away. The problem as well is this has been done better elsewhere. Like if you watch Only Murders in the Building, which I warmed to an awful lot. I was a bit cooler okay. towards it at the beginning and I warmed to it a lot by the end. That is telling this kind of story as well, right? It's just through the prism of, of true crime rather than this kind of pot boilery thriller. But like uh, Paul Feig, the, the Bridesmaids director, uh, he uh, made a, a movie called A Simple Favour a few years ago with Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively, which is this in a two hour, two and a half, and well, two hour and change movie, which is extremely funny and a much better version of what they were going for just it fell flat and I was quite surprised in the like in the final uh, episode in the last five minutes there's a big cameo uh, by a big actress who appears and sets up a second season and you know I really was uh, you know I will be incredibly surprised if it gets a second season and if it does it needs to come back far funnier far stronger with much more frequently occurring jokes because it's just at its best it's middle of the road and when you're going for a big comedy that falls especially flat yeah given though so many of the streamers tend to kind of almost block book uh, a series now I, I, I imagine just having Kristen Bell attached to it was probably enough for them something like yeah that. like what I will say is you know, while it was damning to say they are comedians, comedians, uh, they are. They're, throughout this, you see uh, various different actors who are comedic bit players in, in every sitcom you've ever watched, but who are obviously like improv American comedians on the scene and know yeah. and all know each other. And like you even get a, you know, throughout you see different people that you've seen in everything before. So obviously they everyone is very fond of them and wants to be involved in this project. For me, it just like it just isn't funny enough, and I and I wanted it to be so much better than it actually was. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a lot of comedians looking for something to do something funny about, rather than you know it, it grew up organically. I, yes, I would say very much so. It, it, it seems like that, and 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 certainly at eight episodes, it exhausts it. I mean, if you're going to go for a spoof, maybe keep it tighter, like even four episodes, five episodes, rather than going eight half hours separately. Yeah, and even in terms of plotting. Because, the, you know, you could forgive it if it was well plotted even. But I, from what you're saying, it just sounds like it's MacGuffin of the Week. It is thing. MacGuffin of the Week in each episode. Each episode almost takes on not quite as like an archetype of this of these kind of thrillers. Uh, but each but but there are no massive surprise twists in this or or well, I suppose you would say the, the reveal of the murderer is something it's definitely supposed to be this big 
gotcha surprise but mm. I have to admit I called it like in episode 4 when I was ah, watching it going this right. is what I think is going to happen but would you normally do that no I'm are you useless. one of these people <laughs> I'm really bad at that <laughs> I, uh, I watch TV often with someone who in the opening credits will say he did it and you're right I go down and make a cup of tea now uh, right uh, that's the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window uh, on Netflix uh, we'll move into our next show The Gilded Age new ep- episodes every Tuesday on Sky Atlantic here's a clip We must look out for some people with sons and daughters your age. That's true. I don't know anyone. Now, you need to know, we only receive the old people in this house. Not the new. Never the new. What's the difference? The old have been in charge since before the revolution. They ruled, justly, until the new people invaded. It's not quite as simple as that. Yes, it is. Well, I'm new. I've only just arrived. Marion, never mind that the Brooks have been in Pennsylvania for a century and a half. My mother, your grandmother, was a Livingston of Livingston Manor, and they came to this city in 1674. You belong to old New York, my dear, and don't let anyone tell you different. You are my niece, and you belong to old New York. Right. Given who made it and and the time period, inevitably we're going to have to compare it to Downton. What's yeah. similar and what's different between the two? Well, it, I think it is envisaged to take place within the greater Downton cinematic universe. Yes. Actually, oh, because no, it was, <laughs> it was originally conceived as a prequel to Downton Abbey. Uh, you know, I, I was a very casual viewer of Downton Abbey, but I know there's. Uh, I want to. I, I couldn't name all the characters, but mm. the American mother, who's like, you know. <laughs> parachuted in G.I. Joe style to bail out the family right yeah, yeah. That, that, that she is a character who may appear as a very young version in this at some point right right. okay but it is created by Julian Fellows he he originally sort of uh, spun, spun out the idea in 2012 and NBC had signed on I think by 2016 and then it went to HBO and the big advantage of HBO is HBO has spent I mean, so much money on this. Like every scene, every, you know, so one of the actresses, Carrie Coon, who people will know from The Leftovers, and she's a big Broadway star. In fact, this and whole Fargo thing... Fargo as well, she was in. Yeah, she was in, she was yeah in you're dead right. Yeah. And this is like the most Broadway stars you've ever seen on the small mm. screen because it was filmed when Broadway was out of action and they were all available. And she, like she, in every scene that she's in, she plays Bertha Russell, who is new money and very like nouveau riche, vulgar new money in the eyes of old New York. In every scene she's in, she's got a brand new like costume and it is like a lot of satin. Yes. <laughs> so I have to admit, I you know, I didn't watch Downton when it was on because, it, you know, it was a real Sunday night kind of thing yeah. your mother watched, even mm. though I don't think my mother watched it. But uh, I sat down to watch this last week and it is 80 minutes long, this opening episode. But I enjoyed it thoroughly. I, I, I would describe it as just like sumptuous, right? Everything about it was just easy, and beautiful and meticulously made and shot and filmed and all of the actors just their control of even their delivery of lines is is beautiful and entertaining to watch we heard in the clip there Christine Baranski who uh, of the the good wife the good fight 
uh, fame playing Agnes Van Ryan who is the kind of mean bully one mm. with a heart of gold we're going to assume uh, who is the aunt of Marion Brooke who is Louisa Jacobson who is actually Meryl Streep's daughter uh, and is going not by Gummer which is what all her other daughters go by instead going by Jacobson uh, who is recently I guess orphaned but uh, and, and destitute and moves to New York with her aunt her, her other one being Cynthia Nixon and they are trying to train her in the ways of uh, being snobs. Yes, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. And, you know, whereas in, in Downton Abbey, the problem was always, uh, to quote the American writer Glenn Weldon, problems with, you know, polishing the pudding spoons. <laughs> uh, hereby, <laughs> the problems are social standing, right? Mm. The uh, So the Russells have built this, you know, McMansion across the road and they want to essentially just bully their way into the New York social scene by way of being incredibly rich and powerful. And the old New York social scene, their nose has been put out of joint by the arrival of this new family. And I mean, to, it is quite a ridiculous plot line. Like the opening episode ends, <laughs> you know, and this is, I, I feel like this is in spoiler territory where, you know, a party is not attended. And, and that is this absolute... I mean, the, well, you can see that coming anyway. Can, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. the host is left, I mean, so bereft that she uh, declares this like vendetta and fatwa <laughs> against <laughs> all of the New York social scene. And then what is at least interesting is Julian Fellows has also acknowledged uh, like that this is such a silly uh, plot line. I mean, why are we supposed to have not like, why are we supposed to be sympathetic towards this brat, really? This mm. absolute millionaire brat. But the truth is, but at least he has also created some other characters that are, you know, proper, proper, not down and outs, but more having a more difficult time of it in this incredibly affluent part of New York. So you have the downstairs houses, you know, the, the servants in, in both of these big houses. But then into this also comes, it's kind of interesting. Normally we have like a white saviour role. And instead in this, we kind of have this black saviour role. We have this woman named Peggy uh, who who helps out Marion on her on her uh, troubled journey to her new family home. And in doing so, becomes part of the uh, household. Mm. Uh, and it's, it'll be interesting to follow her story because that's not something we kind of get told all the time. Whereas this sort of period drama, upper crust uh, nonsense, which it is. Yeah. Very entertaining nonsense. We've kind of seen before. But it is, for me, I just thought it was, I I just really enjoyed it in spite of itself. This is a really, really expensive soap opera right at the end of the day. Oh, it's extremely soapy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, But everyone in it is really, really good. Many of the lines I thought were very, very funny. All of the scene, like, all you know, the amount of money just that has spent on it is so evident on the screen in terms of scale and costumes like ITV could never <laughs> do this. Right. And and for that, it, you know, for for all of the kind of pizzazz, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that was the thing. I'm not, but I assume it must have been digital rather than built because the buildings were all pristine because True. they were all built last week. Exactly. So, um. Uh, you wouldn't really see that. Uh, though, uh, someone says the uh, the sets in the Gilded Age are atrocious. So distracting in their fakeness. For anyone that's interested in the history of New York around that time, there's a guy on Instagram that gives great comparisons in histories uh, called Keith uh, York City KYC. Uh, so, I yeah, I assume it's a kind of a slightly gauzy version of what New York was like at the time. I would think it would have been muddier and probably smellier. D- uh, yes. Uh, the, yeah, I mean, this is the Gilded Age, right? It, it is a TV show. It, it, this is this is the Gilded Lily Age, I would yeah. say. 
though the difference between that and Downton, I would have thought, is that Downton kind of gave equal airtime between the uppers and the lowers yeah. kind of thing. This, not so much. No, not so much. It, it, I would say the core p- storyline is, you know, the, is is the war. It's kind of even hard to kind of comprehend. It, it's It's not even like upper class, lower class. It's old rich versus new rich. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and you're not particularly even rooting for the new rich. No, that's the thing is you're not rooting for anyone. I agree. Yeah, so far because they're all kind of horrible to each other. Yeah, <laughs> so it's uh, hard to tell that. Uh, Adele says, uh, "Please tell James I loved Cheer, Emily in Paris, and the girl on the train who got knocked down outside the front door. I'm really <laughs> loving and just like that as well." Says Adele, who just. Likes everything, then, <laughs> uh, obviously. Uh, on the subject of uh, the girl who looked through the window, etc., I thought the guy in the attic did it. Okay. Uh, oh my gosh, I thought this was the worst title ever. It's it's not a very funny spoof. Uh, Paddy says, uh, The Expanse is over. It was a really good finish, consistent with the story, uh, well acted and at times visually stunning, and typically gave another wonderful twist right at the end. It will be seen as one of the best series of recent years, especially for sci-fi fans. Hopefully some streaming company might take it on as there are three more books in the series, mm. uh, uh, says Paddy. And you're not the only uh, person, Paddy, who've uh, expressed that opinion. I think there was, as there always is, uh, speculation about that. And uh, someone else says, have you reviewed The Man in the High Castle on Netflix yet? So that's a text from four years ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's on Amazon Prime. But, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I reviewed the first season and I didn't warm to it that much, I have to admit. But I liked the world building aspect of it I thought they really created mm. like a you know a, a, this retro future past whatever the right adjectives and nouns are there very very well and that that, that was really clever but the, the, ultimately the, the storyline didn't hook me the uh, I forget how many series there were I, think, I would say three or four yeah, anyway yeah but like whatever the last one was it looked to me like it was a sudden decision oh, because right. they had this weird, what? <laughs> That's the end of it? Uh, what's going on? Everyone's walking out of a kind of a glowing washing machine and that was, you know, and, and that kind of wrapped it up. Right, we'll uh, move on to our uh, third show of the day. This, I suppose this is different because it's not actually from a, a, an established streamer. It's, it's on demand from the Abbey Theatre uh, until tomorrow. It's called Bloody Sunday, Scenes from the Savile Inquiry. Here's a clip. Before that day, Although people were being shot, I did not have a belief that death was an integral part of the equation of seeking justice in this country. After Bloody Sunday, I believed that it was. I never, for 30 years, raised my voice against the arming and taking of the war to the British government. For 30 years, as a consequence of Bloody Sunday, my policy was death is part of this equation. The British Army declared war on the people seeking justice in this country on that day. 3,000 and more coffins followed and years of imprisonment and torture and pain. It is highly arguable that without Bloody Sunday, where we are today, we would have been in 1972. And I cannot forgive the British government for that. Right, Uh, that's pretty... Pretty passionate stuff. Yeah, they're the words of Bernadette McAlisky, uh, Nee Devlin. Mm. And uh, this is, so yeah, I, I picked this because obviously the 50th anniversary was of Bloody Sunday being yesterday. Um, and I saw lots of people tweeting about this, that this play had been on in the Peacock part of the Abbey Theatre and as part of the commemorations they were going to stream it, but only until tomorrow. So if anyone, if this piques anyone interest, anyone's interest, you only have till tomorrow to do so. It only costs 10 euros to sort of rent mm. the video for 
the next 24 hours anyway. And it is a piece of verbatim theatre created by Richard Norton Taylor. He, I think, has made a num- numerous uh, bits of these verbatim theatre productions. Um, other ones include like the inquest into Grenfell and and th- big things like that. Right. And what he does is he distills, I mean, it is somewhat controversial because he takes a 400 plus day inquiry that had 900 plus witnesses offering statements and condenses it into about two and a half hours of drama. And it's a really interesting production. It's directed by um, Lynn Parker. And I really want to give credit to the voice director, Andrea Ainsworth, because you have this core cast of maybe kind of eight people. And with the exception maybe of one or maybe two of them, but I think it's only one, everyone else is playing multiple roles. So some of them play Mm. witnesses, some of them play lawyers, some of them play representatives of the inquiry. And their voices are constantly changing throughout. So like, for example, we hear, you know, a Derry accent there, but a couple of scenes later, the same actress is playing, you know, a very posh British, in, you know, mm. lawyer, etc. And it, it, that's a sort of just intriguing aspect of it because it just kind of, you know, it's about kind of how similarities and differences amongst people as well. It's a completely pared back production. You know, they're even the cast are holding the scripts uh, while they're and turning the pages while they're going through it, and dressed basically in very normal clothes. The whole, you know, everything is black, and in the background, some information is coming up and maybe photographs, but uh, we couldn't quite see that in the as a digital viewer. But it just takes their testimony and delivers it and really that and you know there's there's no more sort of dramatic flourish or turn to it than that there's no gotcha moments there's mm. no great big moments of fighting or like or you know or peril or whatever but but it's just this really pared back straightforward account taken directly from the pages of the inquiry where the wit- witnesses come and talk about their experiences how they have felt or how uh, you know how how it has changed over time or how uh, you know the kind of the, the, the trauma that they have endured of 30 years and they look to the audience who are sort of playing the role of the of uh, the public in at the in, in at the inquiry and it really was just this incredibly incredibly powerful and interesting piece of theatre and it's kind of very it's sort of interesting a couple of weeks ago I talked about the, when the you know Orti had the show about the treaty and, and reading the speeches from the doll the debates about whether or not to sign the treaty mm. and that's a very similar kind of production right it's a it's another piece of verbatim theatre taking the actual speeches and turning it uh, into a drama I suppose it, it, that was it, for me didn't work quite as well as this because I suppose right that had this kind of period drama setting where they were dressed in Downton-esque costumes mm. right uh, but this is just so much more pared back and honest and raw because of that that it's just really really uh, kind of really powerful powerful stuff and if you're willing to spend 10 euros on it which I was last night it is a good investment to get I really, really like, you know, I, I suppose I knew what the Savile Inquiry was. I, I knew most like I, I remember hearing in the news when it came out, it's finding it's etc. But I hadn't really engaged it in any kind of critical way. And to mm. sit down last night and watch this two hour, 20 something minute drama and, uh, you know, and be part of this live audience. Right. Because you know, this is not something you want to be second screening through. Right. You want to yeah. be hanging on every word. I thought it really conveyed the intimacy of the theatre very, very well. The kind of tense tenseness of the audience, I felt, could be could be felt through the screen even, and it was it made a very strong case for sort of the Abbey as a not as a streamer, but like as a potential of home entertainment if you're yeah, in Kerry, yeah. if you're in Galway, wherever. 
Uh, no, it's but the piece itself does it essentially tell the story of Bloody Sunday, but through the the the, the voices of these witnesses to the Savile Inquiry. Yes, and yeah. through I suppose uh, the you know you get witnesses. You also have uh, British soldiers giving their their part mm. in it as well, and. At the end, sort of, it all basically fades to black and and winds down, and it you know it it definitely makes I would say well personally I thought it made a a value judgment as to who you could say whose side it was on personally I think it made a very very clear well, it'd be difficult indicator. not to really. well I agreed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be a surprising that uh, would be a surprising result out of uh, a production of our national theatre I would have thought that would be in a shock uh, yeah it sounds, it sounds and it's only uh, it's only available until tomorrow was it? until tomorrow yes right okay and uh, that's uh, so where would you go to? so you go to the, the Abbey, Abbey website you go to the Abbey website and you pay your 10 euros uh, credit card fee and then you can stream it from the website and it even gives you instructions how to stream stream it from, to your TV from there. All right, grand. So the three shows we were talking about today, The Woman in the House Across the Street from The Girl in the Window, all episodes of that available on Netflix. Mm, not so funny. Uh, the Gilded Age, uh, uh, every Tuesday on Sky Atlantic, soapy, but very entertaining. And uh, Bloody Sunday, scenes from the Savile Inquiry, available on demand from the Abbey Theatre until tomorrow, harrowing uh, by uh, all accounts. James, thanks a million for coming in to us. James Dempsey there. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break after that. How to make a vegan violin. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.